Hello, welcome to A Z Position, a podcast about the world, politics, and everything in between with a Generation Z perspective. I'm your host, Andy Lowe, uh, and today is the first episode of the podcast, so thank you for tuning in. The uh, topic for today of discussion will be the rules of the internet and around social media, the end of the Trump presidency, and so, so on. Format of the podcast will be, we will begin with a current events discussion, just kind of touching on things, things to watch out for, and then we will dive right into the main discussion topic. So thank you for listening, and I am pleased today to be joined by my good friend David Stanley. Hi, Andy. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, me and David are self-described hyper-consumers of news, and we're happy to uh, bring some breaking news and, and uh, a great discussion here today. So uh, what, what's happening in the world, David? Not much. Vaccine rollout uh, is lagging, unfortunately, which is the really the only issue that's so pressing that we deal with every day. Um, it's frustrating to see that number not tick up, but obviously understand why it's not. You know, it's good to not compulsively check the news every hour to see what the latest Twitter beef is from the president. Um, you know, regardless of your views on on the the past Trump administration, it is it is nice on some level to to not constantly be uh be refreshing Twitter and seeing what's going on there. Uh, it's odd to see a president's Twitter account be basically just a highlight of their policy goals. Aside from that, uh, not much going on. GameStop go burr, right? Yeah, ga- <laughs> GameStop. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I can't agree more. Honestly, it's 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 weird to to think White House statement and just be like whatever. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter anymore. It's like the any previous year where it's just nothing is about policy and the real drama is on the Senate floor. It's yeah, a little exactly. bit of normalcy already, and we're not even close to where we were before anyway. Yeah. So cannot agree more. So yeah, and uh, as far as like things to watch this week. Uh, the GameStop thing is it's really heated up, but it's it's uh, right now we're at February second. It's kind of cooled down. Robinhood kind of got a lot of got a lot of crap for everything that happened. I, you know, we'll keep an eye on it. I think there's going to be a, a future discussion on like actual ramifications of what happened, how it happened, why it happened, and how either things can be prevented from happening or if there was actual actual wrongdoing. I, I know that's something we've discussed a lot, David. Yeah, definitely. I've. I have a feeling the SEC is going to be looking into a lot of that. I know that Vlad, the Robinhood CEO, is going to be coming to to testify before them. Uh, as far as political news, not much. So last, I believe it was last night, the Senate Republicans, led by Susan Collins, met with the White House for a meeting that that ran over, which is always a good sign. So hopefully, there's some progress on stimulus. Obviously, six hundred billion versus one point nine trillion is. Uh, a fair disparity, to say the least. So we'll see what happens, whether that goes to reconciliation. I believe that's pretty much the big political news for the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah it feels no, weird. It is. It's, it's weird that that's like it. There's like one, it's like a normal debate of in like policy stuff. No, it is very pressing. I am very sensitive to the time of that, timing of that. I know you are too. Um, I have been, you know, another thing kind of to watch is does Biden make the space to try and make a compromise and get 60 senators or do they just shove it through? Right. I, I'm not sure what the right answer is there. Like I, I could see, kind of see either argument. Um, there was a study put out today. I need to, 
uh, I need a really good source on that. Forbes posts a highlight. It, it, it was posted widely on the news that talked about uh, that it was a third-party study that said that both stimulus proposals with the 1.9 trillion and then 600 billion would return GDP to pre to you know pre-pandemic levels. It would return to a similar level in the second yeah. quarter of yeah. 2021, which I thought was very interesting. Now, obviously, disparity is in personal income, uh, even returning to the employment levels we were at. There's a lot of other things to discuss, um, but that the 600 billion, you know, there's there is some some bargaining room there, and I'm I'm very interested to watch that as well. So, keep an eye on that, everybody. Um, so yeah, well, thank <laughs> yep. you for. Yeah, it's weird the current events being so easy. I, I guess we didn't we didn't do this like right after January 6th, yeah. so which that's a whole nother beast in of itself. So. Uh, but for today, which slightly related to January 6th, is we are talking about social media, the internet, free speech, things like that. Um, and so kind of the big context here is uh, January 6th, the Trump era, the 2016 and 2020 elections. What is allowed, not allowed on the internet? What can you say? What can a Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit let on their platform? And that's that's cool or not to the government or to others, which is more important. Uh, how are those rules actually written? When were they written? In fact, it was a long time ago now. And uh, what does that all mean for now? I mean, and after the following the January 6th attacks, as many of you know, Donald Trump doesn't have a Twitter right now, hasn't had one. Um, and it's been kind of good, in my personal opinion. We'll discuss a little bit more. And why there's been this reaction of, you know, the conservative voices being silenced and, what is actually happening versus what is being said and how rhetoric gets mixed into all of this. So kind of the first overarching question I want to start us off with here, David, is you know, why are you know, platforms such as Facebook incentivized to create these, these echo chambers? There's a lot of, there's been a lot of news reporting. There's been a lot of reporting over the past four years of these like Facebook groups that people go to and they learn about QAnon and uh, with the Oath Keepers and these, these almost now what we definitely see as extremist groups that peddle conspiracy theories and you know whatever whether it's the pizza parlor that has a pedophile ring or the or that they're stealing the election that these these echo chambers spiral out of control and facebook you know specifically i don't i mean a libel facebook facebook has been under a lot of scrutiny for this but other social media um companies as well have been under scrutiny for their algorithms for if they're going to suggest you content they're probably going to suggest you content that's similar to the ones you've already seen which means that you're just going to spiral into the same things that you've seen um and so i don't want to just say only facebook does this they've been under a lot of scrutiny in particular um but you know why are they incentivized to do that how can they do that you know where is that well why is that yeah so obviously you know companies like facebook and twitter are privately or are publicly traded companies so you know they're responsible to their their share their shareholders their their goal is to generate revenue and generate value drive the stock up um obviously in, in addition to their their technological goals like connecting people but um obviously bottom lines matter and so essentially there's two ways that these social media companies in that that sphere like a reddit or a facebook or a twitter can make money there's an ad-based model, which means that that they essentially loan out a piece of their site for advertisers who then pay them money with the assumption that those ads will be targeted to individuals and then those individuals will come back to those companies and spend money and the cycle keeps going and, and it's good for both parties, in theory. 
Um, and then there's the subscription based model, which is something like Skillshare, I think has something like that, where it's, it's like you pay $10 a month and you have access to all this content. And so right now there are no, there really aren't any, any social media sites that have a subscription based policy, um, which is an interesting thing to think about when you, when you think about, about the rabbit holes that these companies create. So the problem with, with the first model in terms of creating echo chambers is that you're incentivizing companies to keep people on their sites for as long as possible so that they see more ads. So if you look at like the average ad revenue per user in the US for Facebook, it's about $25 per user per year, which isn't that much. So if you think about it, like $25 divided by 12 months, like two bucks a month. So that would be like the subscription value of those users. And then there's obviously more stuff that goes into it. Like there's the Facebook games that people pay way too much money for, like the freemium games. There's that old like South Park episode about, about like <laughs> how the Canadian devil makes premium games. And there's some truth to that. Like it sucks people in that way too, but the majority of their money. Yeah. I remember that <laughs> yeah, as like a middle school definitely. thing, right? Like that was like people, I, I remember that being way too cool yeah. for like two years or something. So yeah, I yeah, know continue, but I, I remember that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Simpler times. But, but essentially both of the, the ad based model and the, the freemium games essentially have the same effect. Like the more that you suck people in, the more money that they'll spend or, or the more money that they'll make for the company through these advertising dollars. Yeah, no, I, I think that was a, a great explanation of it. And it's, it's a, you know, we, you, you would think it's so simple. You're like, oh, that makes sense. They stay on the side. And then now we've seen this like extreme bad end result of it already with January 6th. And like that was, it could have been so much worse as we've heard way too much about. And we'll probably keep hearing about. I think it only gets worse as time goes on. Um, and, and something I, I, you know, I had in my notes here that I think does relate to this and as we talk about media so i mean obviously you have social media and you have you have groups and you have people that just post things whether it's like my grandpa posting some random shit or like i you you the typical stuff right um there's also like news agencies or cable news whether it's cable news you know fox news msnbc nbc cbs abc um or if it's the new york times the washington post wall street journal uh chicago tribune you know what you know, I, something I, re- I noted here was that we've had a very big profound shift in how they report over the past uh, probably five years. I mean, people talk about 2015 as really the start, right, in the Republican primaries with Trump um, of this change from like kind of both sides, you know, with this both sidism eroding like real objectivity. Um, and I, I think it's something that that's, that's very real. Uh, is that what, what, how, do, how do you kind of see that playing into all this, David? Yeah, definitely. I think that that when you think about both side both sideism, it kind of all obviously everything these days jumps back to Trump. So, it's the same the same way that we're talking about Facebook making money off ad revenue. News a lot of news companies make money off ad revenue. Like CNN is not a subscription-based service and you can view a lot of Wall Street Journal articles for free. And two examples that pop to the top of my head when you think about about that the thing that Trump unearthed is that all news is good news. You know, coverage is favorable and driving clicks is positive. And so throughout the Trump era, like, you know, it's, it's, it's good for CNN because they get to <laughs> kind of yeah. have, this, have this Trump, Trump, uh, 
either objective or Trump bashing, depending on how you look at it, uh, coverage of him. And then something like the Wall Street Journal, like the op-eds generate a lot of clicks, like the one about Oh, quote unquote, Doctor Biden. Yeah, Dr. yeah. Joe Biden. Yeah, and like I like the Wall Street Journal. They have great financial reporting, but sometimes that their their op ed section can can get in the way of that. Um, and yeah, but to to go back to your original question, there definitely I think there definitely has been an erosion of objectionality. I mean, I don't think that there's an ob- objective <sighs> objective both sides to a lot of the issues we've seen. Um, you know, I would consider myself like a Republican, but someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene is not really defensible. A lot of her comments aren't defensible. And it kind of upsets me when you see someone like Tucker and Hannity with, you know, millions of viewers just go out of their way to defend and somehow turn it back on the other side. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like um, it's become like rooting for your favorite football team or in that sense right yeah and that gets back to like nick i think it's called negative it's called negative partisanship where you hate the other side more than you like your side right you're not voting really because you like the candidate and i've had conversations with people where they 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 didn't even vote like in 2020 because they're like i don't even like either of the candidates and right so they didn't participate in the negative partisanship um and to any listeners at home talking about both sideism it's the the act of you know back in 2016 where you have news sites trying to like you know, but you know, the either side has a point when you have like Trump versus Hillary, you know, that that's just an example, you know, that's probably different than like necessarily 2020. And there's lots of examples of it, but it's where you try to hold up both sides and give them valid, you know, say they have valid arguments, even if one side maybe doesn't in the, in the attempt to appear objectionable, objective. And the I, the fallacy is that a lot of times you end up not being actually objective because if one side's just wrong because of either facts or, evidence whatever it is and it could be either side obviously the trump era you you automatically think of him and that trump is republican and things like that but there's obviously that's happened both you know ironically both sides of the political spectrum but the both sideism is the act of trying to equivocate them and give them both a platform i mean i think the personally is pure opinion that new york times has fallen ill of that in the past five years which is a very good shame the paper of record as it was once called and still somewhat is called, uh, has headlines sometimes about a Biden owning a Peloton bike. So like, it's just, just like, what is it, you know, what is trying to go on here? So that is what we're, what we're referring to. And I think it is really related, right? Like, I mean, I, I deal with family members all the time talking about, you know, parroting Fox news talking points that don't really make sense, but it gets clicks. All news is good coverage, as you said. And it's, and you see it, it's the same trend on social media where all attention is good attention, whether you're, it's outrage or just scandalous. I mean, how many, we talk about how many scandals uh, Trump survived that would have tanked any other president, right? You know, he's called Teflon. Is, is yeah, I always Teflon heard, Don. Right? He's, he's like, Teflon <laughs> Don, yeah. It's just like, it's just nuts. When you put it in the context of the greater, I don't know, the history of the United States, I mean, if we're really going to put it in the context, right? I mean, it, the worst president was probably uh, Rutherford B. Hayes at the end of Reconstruction until uh, until just now, and it just doesn't feel real, right? Like it's crazy. So that's a that's another we can, you can debate that later on. But yeah. um, so and to the point of like incentivization, I mean, what I really think of um, is is it's just ad revenue. I mean, we get back to how do these companies make money, and it's ad revenue, mm-hmm. and it's not an easy thing to 
to kind of change, right? Because I mean, I think you I, you agree with me on this. You know, free free market system, great, has lots of advantages, has, does all these great things, you know. But how do we prevent something that's already had bad consequences? Probably could have bad consequences again. We're already seeing things get blown over. People aren't even actually talking about January 6th. You know, people are in denial. I mean, if they only watch Fox News and go on their Facebook groups, they probably thought they, they, they could think Antifa did it for all we know, right? Like, it's there's no there's no consistent just like truth going out sometimes to certain parts of the population. And we've seen that now, but it's because their sources of information are incentivized to just give them what they want. And it's, you're like, yeah, of course, just give them what they want. But now it's like, oh crap, like this isn't actually good. It's hurt society. Um, and so uh, what, you know, we kind of, we got to the, why is it incentivized? It's just money. (laughs) So, how to make money right but like how do we how do we even address that like how do we stop facebook not even stop but like disin i think disincentivize is the right word here you know how does it make it where this is something they don't want to actually do they want to prevent besides obviously you know try not to be liable for criminal suits and with the current system yeah, <laughs> yeah. well it's a great question and obviously if we had the answer you know we'd be saviors of the American society, but I think that this has less to do with existing platforms, but I wish that someone um, would give a give a whack at the at a subscription based service for social media. I think that would be pretty popular, and I think there's definitely a market out there for it because um, if you think about what Facebook like outside of paying their engineers um, which is they don't really have a lot of cost. There's server upkeep and stuff like that. But that's really, when you're running a website, that's not super, super expensive. Um, so I think that it would be interesting to see someone try like a Facebook without ads or maybe, you know, Facebook even marketed an ad-free experience and then they could just nor- essentially normalize that by taking the, the um, cost adjustments of the ad revenue um, and then just having people essentially pay for that. I think that that would be a good way to at least begin because ads are annoying too. I mean, like as a user, um, it's, it's annoying to see a bunch of ads and then you can get into the privacy issues about how scary it is, how, how Facebook and, and these, these ad analytics companies who kind of work in the shadows and people outside of the tech world don't know a ton about, but you know, selling your phone ping data, for example, and then, you can almost see if the if an ad works because like your phone will ping your location and then if you got an ad for Dick Sporting Goods and then you went into Dick Sporting Goods, like they know it's a successful ad and the machine just keeps churning. But um as far as changing it, that's I guess that's my grand idea. Then the problem with that is how do you implement that in a in the free market society that we're so fortunate to live in? Um I I don't know. Um and I just hope that someone who's smarter and more into politics than me, like an actual politician, preferably, would go about um, finding creative solutions for that. Or, or, or there's some level of corporate responsibility, which is a huge buzzword, as anyone who's, you know, worked in corporate America knows. <laughs> um, and hopefully that there could be something to be done about that. But I don't know. I think it would be at least worth a chance. 
Yeah, no, I, I think the subscription, mo the subscription model would be a worthy try. I would be interested. I mean, as long as it's not like super expensive, right? I mean, you just, you named a number right there, $2 a month. I'd pay $2 a month. I'd probably pay $5 a month to not have to worry about that stuff. Especially, especially if they get to a point where they, they can like guarantee your security and they don't mess with ad agencies, right? If they're like, look, we just don't mess with them. That's part of our thing. You know, that's part of the user agreement. And so then they're binded to it as well. You know, people would be into that. You know, I don't know if it'd be as many people as Facebook, obviously. The whole Facebook works off of volume. That's the whole point. That's why it's $2 a month per person, right? So they're not going to be able to charge that. Um, but I think there would be a market for that. I think that's a good, you know, as far as a free market solution, that's a that's a good one. I'm sure there's people working in the shadows and whether they'll get funding or not. You know, it's just the head fund guys, right? The... <laughs> <laughs> choose all the all these wonderful things um and so and as far as like policy it's you would have to you would have to regulate so much to try and do it from a policy perspective like if let's say there was like a there was a law that was made right if you end up talking about section 230 that currently governs public you know social media companies right now you would have to do so much regulating and have so much bureaucracy on it that it would just kill it and all the positives that we've had of social media of just information being able to be shared everywhere and the internet being the internet would go away i mean people talk about that with uh it was a uh how it was a bill it was it's about the child exploitation bill i need to i can't remember the name of it but if you look up child exploitation internet bill from the trump administration administration it'll come up and they're you know they sold it as a it didn't end up passing but as a way to monitor sexual you know child exploitation on the internet um but how they did it was you had a committee of like 11 people majority of who was picked by the federal government by the attorney general's office and you know they got to kind of set these like best you know best practices that companies had to follow otherwise they lost legal protection from being like a social media company or a sony with with a playstation or microsoft with an xbox um and so it really raised these like whoa wait a minute they're gonna like you could you know you get the wrong person in there they could just tank an industry i mean it would just it would blow it all up and snap your fingers right um and so i don't know how you do it from a policy perspective as far as echo chambers and everything with social media uh without doing that i just don't know um and so i would like to see a subscription model that would be nice yeah, if MySpace came back, right, and charged me six bucks a month to chill with my friends, not worry about my data going out, not, you know, it's just, it's just not worry about it. Give people peace of mind, they'll pay for that. It won't be, again, it won't be the volume, but it work. You know, you still want to keep the big open ones. So, you know, the you know, various countries of the world that have authoritarian governments, there's a long list, can still get try and get information, right? You know, China, Iran, now Myanmar, African countries everywhere. I mean, there's, there's a long list, all right? But the, that's an important resource for them. So we want to just, like, kill them all um, as a, one argument for not just destroying the current system. So, no, that was good. I, I didn't even think about the subscription model, David. That was good. And, uh, yeah, I'd pay a couple bucks a month. I think I know you would, too. And I think there's a lot of people uh, at home right now who probably would think about, think about that as well. So, and so kind of the, the next part of, of this discussion is, you know, what are, you know, what are the court rules? I and mean, we're talking about changing the rules, right? Or changing how things are incentivized. You know, what, 
the, the current rules uh, are really defined by what's called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, or Title V of the Telecommunications Act of 1996, which is formally codified as Section 230 of the Communications Act of 1934. So it was an edit to a 1930s uh, act. So Section 230, this is, I'm referencing a Wikipedia page right now, like full, full disclosure generally provides uh, immunity for website publishers from third-party content. So it's what allows Facebook, if somebody posts, I want to murder Barack Obama. Like if they just posted that, Facebook would not be liable for that post. The person who posted it would be, and the FBI would go find them instead of Facebook, right? That's what Section 230 provides. And so it's called Section 230 immunity. And if you see that in the news, that is what they are specifically referring to. And you've seen a lot of discussion on Congress lately of, you know, big tech and the immunity in changing when Section 230 gives a company immunity. Um, and so for Section 230 to give immunity, there are three main conditions for it. The, the first case of immunity is given is the first condition for Section 230 immunity is that the defendant, in this case, if it's a Facebook getting sued because somebody said they wanted to kill the president or some crazy shit, must be a provider or user of interactive computer service. That's their okay. general term for, again, social media, game consoles, anything, right? Zoom, whatever it is, right? Somebody has a Zoom meeting and talks about conspiracy theory or something. Uh, the second part is the cause of action asserted by the plaintiff must treat the defendant as the publisher or speaker. So this means that the person suing, or if it's the FBI, again, investigating Facebook, because somebody posted they wanted to kill the president, that they would have to be asserting that Facebook said that as opposed to somebody else. And that the information, the third condition is the information must be provided by another information content provider. In this case, random user on Facebook, Billy Joe on Facebook said this, not Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook. So that's, that's essentially how Section 230 works. Um, and so in Section 230, immunity is not unlimited. Um, it specifically exempts or accepts, you know, it does not cover federal criminal liability, um, electronic privacy violations, and intellectual property claims. So if you, you know, if you're, you love watching YouTube and you're watching Twitch or Twitch or live stream and they talk about how they can't play certain music because of uh, DMCA violations, that is not covered under Section 230. They are not immune from yeah. violating copyright, even maybe if they didn't. There's been lots of other controversy there. Um, but Section 230 does not cover that. Um, and so specifically, Section 230 doesn't cover federal criminal liability. And so, for example, threatening the president does not fall under that. That would be that is a federal crime. You cannot threaten a public official with actual violence or incite violence. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Um, and then the other kind of bit of this is that there is a kind of good some it's called the Good Samaritan Clause of Section 230. And there's a lot of context, but it's important for if we are going to talk about it is that a content provider or not a content provider necessarily a you know a social media site and again that's the best example is not is given the benefit of the doubt as a you know if they regulate the content you know example twitter takes down the the, the hate speech guy because he like wanted said he was going to kill a bunch of people of a certain ethnicity right you know twitter can take his post down according to their terms of service and still be covered by Section 230 is not being being considered a publisher because they did it under good faith, you know, silencing hate speech, you know, stopping incitement of violence, limiting, you know, stopping the transfer of child porn, things like that that are federal crimes. And so 
it's called the Good Samaritan Clause that as long as a, you know, as a computer entertainment company is acting in good faith, um, that they should not they shall not be treated as a publisher or speaker. Um, and so, yeah, so that is section two thirty. It's kind of a little bit of wordy, but it, you can kind of see how how social media as we in the internet as we know it has fit into this shell of section 230 it's called it has been called the words that created the internet for this reason so um and as we shift to this discussion you know this is this is the law that gives twitter the ability to ban the now former president and not be considered a publisher of information on their platform so uh a lot of scrutiny has been given here uh, like how these are the rules basically of the internet and how can they be changed? Can they be changed to disincentivize Facebook from or Twitter or Instagram or whoever from creating echo chambers or, you know, how, how can those things be changed? So, uh, how, how, how do you see all the, all this David, you know, section two thirty good. Do we need to change it? Is this, you know, is this a good rule of the internet? You know, like, is this, is this how we do it? The age old question. This is one of those rare instances, um, in politics where some reform is wanted by both sides. So um, the, the main proponent of all this uh, is Josh Hawley. And so he's, he's famous for, you know, you've probably seen his op-eds, ironically criticizing the media and big tech and all that, that, you know, he links on his Twitter page um, about how they're censoring conservative voices. And so really, you know, with the, with what we just talked about with the both sidesism, it's just it's just not true. There's no evidence of that. Um, there's no silencing of conservative voices. I guess the like the closest thing you could get to that is Twitter suspending Trump. But um, you know, I, the truth is that he viola- violated their terms of service. Um, and whether or not you disagree with Twitter's terms of service that they should be allowed to to suspend a sitting president is is one thing. But he did really he really did violate their terms of service. So. As a private company, you know, they have the right to kick a user off their platform as they see fit. Um, and anyways, going back to, to Section 230, what what Hawley and, and Ted Cruz is another big proponent and the Democrats agree is that there should be some um, addition or change to Section 230. And so the biggest one is that it's called the Ending Support for Inter- Internet Censorship Act that Hawley's introduced. Um, and it's also backed by Speaker Pelosi, which is, you know, what it's <laughs> rare, very rare, obviously. Um, and essentially what it does is it it removes 230 protections from company whose services have more than 30 million active monthly users and more than 300 million worldwide, or have over $500 million in annual global revenue, which is kind of a weird uh, kick in because that includes a lot more companies than you would think. So like 30 million active monthly users and 300 million worldwide is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, the big ones. Um, and so they're, they're going to be essentially have their 230 provisions ripped away unless they, certif- they receive a certification from the majority of the Federal Trade Commission, a.k.a. the FTC, that they do not moderate against any political viewpoint and have not done so in the past two years. It's the Wikipedia summary. And so what that means is essentially... Hawley is knocking out two birds with one stone here, uh, electorally. So he's he's getting popular 230 repeal, and he can push it as the narrative that he's the defender of conservative voices. Um, and so I think that, 
that there does need to be some reform. Uh, I don't know that this is the way to do it, but I think a bipartisan effort to to at least force a place like Facebook to um to more heavily moderate a lot of their stuff. I mean, like it's been well documented that that Facebook has been aware of a lot of these these groups that have been way past the line of hate speech, which is a protect which is protected speech under the First Amendment, and it's it's just incitement of it's not it's not protected speech, and they have a an obligation, in my opinion, to to moderate that and and keep that from um keep people from falling prey to that. Um, and so I think that, that this is a step in the right direction. I think that some action is needed, um, and it's popular action too. So I think it's it's more or less a political slam dunk, um, as far as as far as the politics. And then the real world consequence, I think, would be good. I think that there does need to be some sort of reform, um, and I think that there needs to be some some form of um, of moderation on the moderation. <laughs> of big tech companies as much as i love the free market and i you know die hard free market guy i think that, that this is one of those instances where you have sort of a an unnatural monopoly on something that that should be regulated yeah actually i think your last point really kind of hits home there i mean a lot of people are rightfully scared that twitter banning somebody has such an effect right that's a private company in the terms of service right which is makes sense but the the profound effect that that has is scary like that's not something to be taken so lightly i mean i know when i that first happened i was like okay yeah of course he i mean of course he should get thrown off twitter for in my opinion inciting the violence on january 6 i I think he very much did right but the effect of that of being a sitting president and twitter has since talked about how they would have banned him earlier if he was not the president. Like they let him and him, you know, Facebook also and other platforms talk to have said that they would have been a private citizen much sooner than they banned him, but he's the president. So it is, you know, important that people see what he's saying and tweeting or posting, whatever it is. Um, and so I, it, it's scary. Like it, it's rightfully scary that that happens. Now I don't think, this is a slippery slope to, you know, as Josh Hawley talks about and all, and anytime he speaks ever that, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. That, that conservative voices are being silenced. Oh, I don't think that's happening at all. He's still tweeting. I mean, him and Ted Cruz are still up there spewing whatever I could go about that all day. Right. Like, so that's, I'm not worried about that at all. Um, I think my counterpoint policy wise is, you know, yeah, that this needs to be, there needs to be better regulation here. There needs to be better rules. And I, I really do think that if we talk about the good, I mentioned the good Samaritan clause earlier, the clause that says, as long as a platform is acting a good faith, that they get the immunity, right? It's kind of, they get the benefit of the doubt. I think that's, I think that is the, the point to change. If you reform the good Samaritan act, or the good Samaritan clause to a specific set of rules. And those rules could include that they are not, that they are moderating hate speech, but they can't moderate non-hate speech, or that they there has to be clear lines of you know things that are illegal or things that are considered moderatable without you know whether it's if it's something that's grotesque. Let's say it's porn. Like a platform can decide whether they want to have porn on their site or not, right? Like that's fine. That totally makes sense. Yeah, and so, but those lines should be drawn by Congress, the, the demo, our democracy functioning, right? Um, and I think that's something that could also pass. Now I'm 
you know, I'm also open to the idea of this bipartisan bill you mentioned, and I think that would that would work well. I'm not a big fan of putting bureaucracy in it if we don't need to personally. You know, if I, you know, I guess the, the libertarians back home would, are, are cheering, right? But it would just go, it, it would end up in the courts. There's a lot of court decisions upholding Section 230. And so those would be revisited. Those would be end up in the Supreme Court. And there would be decisions about the new interpretation of a new Section 230. Uh, but I really think that that Good Samaritan Clause is what has allowed this almost, it's this wide range of enforcement or moderation and how how different companies moderate and if that's okay or not and that makes people uneasy they don't you know they they want it consistent you know normally if you go out and, and you say you're protesting or whatever you know what you can and can't say if you, you say something or do certain things you get arrested right like we have clear rules there we need clear rules in the internet space as well and i think that's what's what's been really missing uh it would really benefit. Now, I, you know, I'm not a politician. I don't have like these specific rules written out by a lawyer, uh, but something around, you know, what can and can't be moderated, whether it is that you have to have a terms of service that abides by these certain rules. You could do that as well. And then you just enforce the terms of service, right? Um, it could have an exemption clause for certain politics, you know, for, for elected politicians that they, you know, if, you know, if you agree that Twitter should have let Trump stay on there for longer than a normal citizen, which I think there's an argument there, right? Uh, but you could put all that in the rules of Section 230 and then have that be enforced. So that would be my counterpoint. Not that a bipartisan effort wouldn't be good. The irony of Pelosi and Holly voting yes on the same bill would just be wild in and of itself, considering what's going on. I, uh, Holly and Cruz. Anyway, and there's others too, but they're the, the big names I always think of, obviously. Um, and so that's what I've, I've thought of as well. Um, that was the first thing I thought of was that good was, was reform a good Samaritan, the good Samaritan clause. Yeah, I agree. It's it's. I think that there needs to be a clear line in the sand because that there is legitimate criticism on the right of Twitter in saying, "Well, you deplatform Trump, but someone like I mean, even I'm just like on Twitter right now, like." Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, still has a Twitter. He said some even crazier things than Trump yeah, all the time. Yeah, he said some pretty wild yeah, shit down there. On Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's him, there's there's Chinese actors, like official Chinese actors that just spread baseless, baseless stuff still around. Uh, Iranians still on there. I mean, there's a lot of, of folks that frankly need to be deplatformed so that um, for, the, for the good of, you know, in the same the same reason why Trump was, I mean, if you're going to make that argument, I think that that's, that's definitely valid. And that goes back to what you're saying about how there needs to be a clear line in the sand as to what is and is not acceptable on these platforms. Yeah. And that's, you, you, you made a great point there that it is a very valid argument. I think right after it happened and there was a lot of attention put to uh, the Supreme leader of Iran, who essentially actually been deplatformed actually right after it was a couple of days later, he got deplatformed. So, um, but Chinese state actors still on there. Bolsonaro is actually kind of a deep cut. I actually appreciate that. That is actually a good a good point. He Bolsonaro. was the first person that jumped to mind. I was like, oh, I think he's still a good on one. Twitter. All right. Yeah, all right, that's a good one. I mean, like the Kremlin. I mean, if we're really going to talk yeah, about yeah. it, you, know, you got Russia over here. Other current event here, little little deep yeah, cut here. Navalny. Alexei Navalny is being detained for being a political dissident. Um, it's really good times in Russia right now. So another thing to keep an eye on, but. 
you know, they still they haven't been deplatformed, and so that's a valid criticism, you know, and that that's what is a result of that, a result of not having a clear line in the sand that we so desperately need now. You know, it's nice that our president is isn't exacerbating that. You know, Biden just like tweets about his executive orders and how we need to like stop yelling at each other and that's fine and all and that his meeting with the Republicans went over. Like it's all real benign stuff. It's great. Um, but this is going to happen again. Like this isn't going away. I mean, uh, was it Congress is in the process of possibly or not even possibly trying to remove Mar was it Marjorie Green Thomas? You have to is it uh Marjorie Taylor Green. Marjorie Taylor Green. Thank you. Or MGT as I affectionately refer to her in my in any time I text. Um, similar, you know, AOC, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I use acronyms everywhere. Don't worry. But you know, they're rightfully, I think, trying to strip her of committee positions for just, you know, there's, there's quotes of her talking about Jewish lasers setting fire to California. I mean, like, there's some wild stuff going on there. And so, like, what do you, you we, we already have to address this again. I mean, this hasn't, it's not going away yet. And I, I, I think the clear line of the sand's the, the answer. So, no, and that's good. So, uh, well, yeah. Do you have a, do you have anything else for for our discussion here, David? On you know section two thirty things lingering on your mind, you know about the past uh, fucking month of madness. Not this? about section two thirty. Always got <laughs> know, right? always got stuff lingering, but yeah, I know. We'll, we'll we'll get there. Yeah, we gotta we gotta zoom in on topics here. So, um, and so to to end end the episode, and I'll do this uh, for each episode a little, bit, a little bit more lighthearted. I gotta. I got a period of history and hopefully David knows at least something, something about the, this period in history. It's a, it's a softball one to start, start the, uh, the podcast. Um, and I, I want a hot take. I want like a, like a, okay, but what, like sure, buddy take here. And the, the, the period is World War one. I'll give you, I'll give you a second. Um, I think for me, my, my, my hottest take is, that the division, the how it ended up in the Middle East, and this isn't super hot, but let, let, me, let me let me finish this point. It was divided up between Brit, you know Britain, France, and whatever after the Ottoman Empire fell, which is in all that and the end of the war. Um, but you know, the hottest take for me is that they really were super in the wrong. Like, there's a lot of people who talk about how like that was like super Western colonialism, and there's a lot of talk about that in popular media and any political science journal there's a lot of talk about that i don't i don't have i'm not gonna like specifically call people out or anything but for me whenever i read about that history and like the end of that war the ottoman empire fracturing the ottoman empire had existed since 1453 okay columbus hadn't sailed the freaking ocean blue yet and the ottoman empire existed okay so this is you know 500 years almost of history and this empire existed almost similar to how it was it hadn't changed a lot and so then it fell and fractured and all these things and so while well, britain and france hindsight's 2020 britain france you know, all the other players there specifically britain and france could have handled it better agreed what else were they gonna do i don't i don't know nobody's told me what else they were gonna do and i i haven't heard any yeah i still know and obviously that there's a lot of the, the history that's come from that is the israeli-palestinian conflict and the 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 Jewish zone versus the, the Arab zone of, is, of what is now Israel and then also of the West Bank. And again, whenever I read about that history, it's like, what, what else were they going to do? They were going to, it was going to descend into pandemonium. There was like five civil wars trying to brew in different parts of the Ottoman empire. Once it fell, it was being held by an iron grip. 
And so I, I don't know what else they do to try and just stop bloodshed, you know? Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my hot take. It's not that, that, that bit of colonial, you know, colonialism, like wasn't really that bad to me at least. I could yeah. be wrong though. You, somebody could prove me wrong. I will admit that. <laughs> that's just one of those where I think people, since isolation is isolationism is like the flavor of the past four years on both left and right. It's like kind of akin to populism. That's just a slam dunk that people always point to. But I agree. I don't think it's as clear cut as like, you know, this is somehow <laughs> the the fault of of Western nations. I don't think it is. <laughs> That's a good take. All right. So this is kind of pandemic tangential to World War One, but um history is very cyclical. That's not a hot take. We know that it is, but I was thinking about how there's the Spanish flu towards the end of World War One, and so one of the main uh, spreaders, if you look back, is is parades at the end of World War One. And there's enough scientific data at the time that people knew it was a bad idea to have those parades. But there's obviously also like the social cost of not having a parade for you know the soldiers who who were in the trenches, you know, possibly the worst type of of battle there was. But um, it's just interesting to think about how how it's so cyclical and how we still have these issues to this day about balancing social good versus, uh, you know, human life essentially and where the line is versus free action and movement and, and curbing the spread of something. So history definitely repeats itself. It's my world war one hot take, but yeah, no, I, God, I didn't even think about that. It was 1918 and it's just, it just ended. I think V Day is night was November nineteen seventeen, right? Oh, gosh, that's crazy. And actually, the first thing I think of is the French, because the French, you know, everybody talks about the French and you know, surrender flags, whatever, whatever. The thing with the French is in World War One, you know, they were essentially removed from Napoleon and him almost like conquering Europe. You know, these were a proud, hardy people who could fight, and they fought hard in World War One. If you look up any of the French exploits, they easily took the hardest hit in world war one they were beaten battered killed blown up and they held the line for a long time the Maginot line was one of the most epic like just installations of forts ever seen in the world and you know there's a lot of history there and so you're gonna you're gonna tell me you know if i was a french soldier and i somehow survived i was like the one of eight people that survived right then I come home and like, oh, no, you can't have a parade for the, the just hellscape you just survived because of this, you know, disease that's starting to spread whatever. And I just I, I can I have some empathy for that guy. Right. Coming back. And I'm sure that's what happened is that they're like, how can we not? We just went through literal hell on Earth. You're going to tell us not to celebrate that we survived and won and all this. And so, yeah, the human cost, social costs, both. Yeah. I got another fun fact about the the nineteen eighteen pandemic too while we're on it. So it's called the Spanish flu, right? So you'd assume it originates in Spain. Incorrect. It's from China. So another really? bit of cyclical history. Yep. That yeah, is... they found that out about six years ago. Oh, they had just traced it back to actually back to China. Yeah. yeah. So it took them a hundred years. Yep. They're almost a hundred years to actually figure out Yeah, where to it figure came out where it came from. Wow. Yeah. So China has been the epicenter of the two most deadly pandemics of the past hundred years. 
Fun fact. That's and I don't like correlation doesn't prove causation. Yeah, it's so did interesting. Not at all. Your China in nineteen eighteen was very different than China today. Oh my gosh, that is a whole other bit of history there. Boxer Rebellion, the Japanese were starting to do bad things. Yeah. But that is well, there you go. That's a good good, good trivia there. Thank you, David. Oh. Well, uh, with that, uh, I want to thank David for coming on here for a great discussion. Thank you, David. Yeah, thank you. It was fun. Yeah, no, we will definitely do this again. Um, you know, not hundred sh- percent sure on the next uh, kind of in-depth topic. It might it might revolve around Wall. It will probably revolve around Wall Street. But stay tuned and uh, thank you for listening to a Z position. Thank you. <laughs>